Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Great. Hey, if you haven't met me yet, I'm Shane. I'm the lead minister here. I, I know I just talked a lot. Maybe you didn't know who I was, so I figured you should probably know my name if I haven't met you. Uh, today, we're going to talk about what it means to love God and love people. But before we do, every once in a while, I just like to stop and say thank you for the way you're generous and make sure you know what's going on in the life of the church. And so I've said this before, thank you, because the way you're generous allows us to do some amazing things in the community, like give stuff away to let people know we care about them, uh, partner with the health department to put on an amazing event like the Back to School Bash, or be a part of the One Sunny Day event at Fox Farms today. Because of your generosity, we get to do things like that. that Everybody sees and it makes an impact and lets people know we care, but there are also things that happen because of your generosity that you never see but make a big difference. Things like, just recently, we had to replace the entire air conditioning unit in the children's wing. And I know that's super boring and no one really cares about that, but you need to know what a difference that makes because a lot of times, when it comes to a big expense like that in the life of a church, you'll have to either take out a loan to be able to afford it, or you have to make a campaign and let the church know we have to raise all this money and we got to pay for it. We didn't have to do that. Because of your ability to be generous in giving to us, we were able to just do it. We just took care of it. And what that does is it allows families to come and drop their children off with nothing to worry about. If we didn't have air conditioning in the area, there'd be a problem with with the kids being in there. And they'd be hot and parents wouldn't feel confident in our programming. But because of your generosity, we can love our community well by providing a good space. So I just want to say thank you. Because it matters. You don't get to see that stuff, but you need to know it's happening and it's making a difference, so thank you. And doing stuff like that when you're generous consistently and we can take care of our building and the things we need to do, that is a way that we as the church love people. It's how we impact our community, so thank you. And we're going to talk about what it means to love God and love people today, so let's get after it. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus has asked a question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important one? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And before I read the rest of this, I want you to understand what strength means. We read this verse in English and we assume that strength means like our might our ability to do things, and that's not what it means at all. We don't have a good English word to translate what the Aramaic says here. The best word we can come up with in a literal translation is the word muchness. There's not a good word, but what it actually means, the the word here in the original language actually means all of your being, everything about you, the blood flowing through your veins, the oxygen coming out of your lungs, everything that you do, every cell of your body, love the Lord your God with that. That's what it means. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your everything, your, your essence, your being. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. 
There's no commandment greater than these. And this is affirmed later in Scripture in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And John goes on, he gets a little more pointed in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother... He's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's clear from Scripture that loving God leads to loving people. The two things are interconnected. If we love God, we love what he has made, and he's made people, so we love people. And today I want to look at these things. We talk a lot about loving God and loving people, but why should we? Why should we do that? And, and how do we do that? Like, what does that actually look like? As we continue to define our identity as a church, we have to get this part right. We have to understand why and how we love God and love people. So let's get into it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for loving us, for showing us what love looks like when you gave us Jesus. Thank you for that. And God, I pray right now that you would you would start to shape us and move our hearts as we study your word and listen to what you have to tell us. God, would you pour through me the gift of preaching? Overcome my faults and failures and my shortcomings to speak truth into the life of your church and help us leave this place different than when we came in. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So why do we and why should we love God. I know this may sound like a silly question, but I think we need to take a close look at it. It seems that we often keep God at arm's length, okay? We, he's this benevolent, all-powerful figure that resides somewhere up there, and we're his subjects who work and toil through life down here, right? That's the typical view of God, and that view can lead to a fear of God or maybe even a respect for God, but it rarely leads to loving God, So why should we love him? Let's get to know him. Why should we love him? Why, who is he that he's deserving of love from us? Well, let's start at the beginning. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Sermon's over, you can go home. That's all you need to know, right? All we need to know is that God created. So first, we love God because he created. He did it out of nothing. That's something we can't comprehend, okay? We can't comprehend nothing. We've never experienced nothing. We're surrounded by something, always. There's things everywhere. There is no nothing. We've been in silence. We've been in darkness. We've never been in nothing. But God took nothing and made everything. That's insane. That type of power is something we can't comprehend. And once we recognize that, we love him. But there's more. There's much more. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The first thing God sets in place when he gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments is a reminder to love and serve 
Him only. Only Him. So this almighty God who created everything out of nothing says as his first command to love him above everything else. So the next reason we should love God is because he tells us to. He tells us to. And we should listen. Look, he's not making us, right? He's not forcing us against our will to love him. But it is a command that he has the authority to give. He's commanding us to respond in our free will and love him because he's worthy of our love. Now, if we do what we talked about last week and we know Jesus, then we can know that God's ways are good and that he's always faithful because we know him. We know his heart. So when he says to love him, well, we can trust that and we can respond accordingly knowing he's worthy to be loved. But it goes on. Another reason we should love God is that he loves us. Isn't that wild? He loves us. John 3.16, the most famous verse in all of scripture. There's a reason it's the most famous one. There's a reason I read it not too long ago and that I'll read it a bunch going forward. It's because it's powerful and we need to just hear it sometimes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves us. Isn't that crazy? The God who created everything, the God who defeats sin and death, the God who holds the whole world in his hands, loves us. Not only does he love us, but he loves us so much that he sent his perfect son to die for us. We're not deserving of that in any way. But he proved his love for us first, and so we love him in return. And the next reason we should love God follows that. We love God because he saves us. He saves us. Listen to this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Because of sin, we were destined for death. An eternal separation from God, that was our future. But because of Jesus, we have been saved from our sin and we are justified before the Father and we're given the gift of heaven. I mean, the power of God to save is incredible. His ability to overcome the power of sin and the sting of death in order to raise us to life is worthy of our devotion. And lastly, 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The last reason we should love God, at least the last reason we're going to talk about today, there's hundreds if not thousands of more reasons to love God, but the last one we're going to talk about today is this. We love God because he calls us his children. We were adopted in. We were running away, but he adopted us in. He calls us children. We're children of the king of all kings. 
We're adopted into the family and we're given all of the rights of being a child of the king. What a gift that is. And the only response we could have is to love him because his gift is so amazing. So how do we respond? If all of that is true, how do we love him in return? What does that look like? Well, first... We keep his commands. Jesus says it very plainly in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. It's that simple. It's very plain. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but keeping his commands means to read his word and do what it says. Read his word, do what it says. He commands us to stand up for widows and orphans while we stand up for widows and orphans. He commands us to make disciples, we make disciples. He commands us to live generously, we live generously. We love God by keeping his commands. And the second way we love God is just like it. We keep his commands, but I want to make a distinction. We keep his commands all the time. All the time. There's a tendency for us to compartmentalize our lives. Our lives can often look like a Venn diagram. You remember those are the ones with the circles? It's got like three circles and they're three separate things, but they converge in this one little small area that makes them all similar in some fashion. Our lives look like this a lot. We'll have our work life, and that's what I do at work. And we have our friend or social life, and that's who I am with my friends. And then we have our Jesus circle. And every once in a while, they converge in this small little area. And most of the time, it's an hour on Sunday morning where everything comes together. Our lives shouldn't look like a Venn diagram. Our lives should just be a circle that says Jesus and everything is piled into that because everything is for him and by him and done through him. And so we should just look like a circle with Jesus' name on it. That's our life. We keep his commands all the time. Now, that doesn't mean we won't fail from time to time. Okay, we will. We're sinners. We're broken. We will fail. But it does mean that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus at all times, and we're running as hard as we can after him. Colossians 3.17 reminds us, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let everything you do be for him and his glory. Keep his commands all the time. So we love him by keeping his commands and keeping them all the time. And then we love God by loving people. As we read at the beginning, Scripture is clear that loving God and loving people is interconnected. They go together. If we love God, we love the people he has created. But why? Why, do we, why should we love people? Well, first off, just like loving God, loving people is a command. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We're told to. Jesus commands us to love each other, so we do. Just like I said earlier, we know his ways are good and that we can trust him, so when he commands us to do something, we can do it without hesitation because we know he's faithful all the time. He commands us to love people, so we love people. Second, we love people because it's pleasing to God. Hebrews 13, 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. 
When we love people, God smiles. It brings him joy to see his children love each other, just like it would for any parent, those of us who are parents. When our children love each other well, that puts a smile on our face, right? Same thing happens. When God's children love each other, it brings him joy. And third, we love people because it draws people to Jesus. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. They'll know we're Christians by our love, right? When we love each other, we draw people to Jesus. It's that simple. Especially now. Especially now when loving your neighbor is just not done very well in our culture currently. Right? I mentioned this not too long ago, but we used to be a front porch society and you would come home and you'd park in the driveway and you'd get out of the car and you'd talk to your neighbors. That was kind of life in America a while ago. But now we're a back porch society who parks their cars in the garage and we close our garage door before we get out of the car so we don't have to talk to our neighbors, right? We don't love our neighbors well. So when we do, when we as Christians intentionally make it a point to love our neighbors, people want to know why. Why are you different? Why do you even care? We care because Jesus changes us. And so we love. All right, so we've talked about how to and why to love God, and we've talked about why to love people, so we're going to talk about how to love people, right? And this is the hard part. This is where things get difficult. It's easy to love easy people, right? But what about the difficult ones? What about the ones we don't get along with or the ones that get on our nerves? Or what about loving the ones who have different social or political views than we might have? Loving people gets messy. When we love broken people, when we decide to step in and engage someone whose life has fallen apart, it's messy, right? There's no clear-cut answers on how to handle messy situations. There's no guide on exactly what to do when someone's life falls apart, but we step in, and it's difficult. It's hard. It weighs heavy on our hearts, and yes, it's much easier to ignore it and just go about our lives, but We have a responsibility. Those of us who follow Jesus, that call Jesus Lord, and he's called us to love people, we have a responsibility to love people, even when it's hard. I read a book this week that said it this way. It said, if it is far easier to ignore God's call than to acknowledge it and rise to fulfill it. But it is more difficult and painful than anything to live with the results of ignoring God's call. It's very well said. Yes, it is easier to just go about life. You walk into a room and someone's sitting by themselves and they're clearly upset. It's easier to go, ah, someone else will take care of that and go about your day, right? But the weight of what if someone else doesn't take care of that? And we haven't stepped up into the responsibility Jesus has given us to love people. What could happen on the other side? That's painful. We have a responsibility. And I believe this church is ready and able to rise to fulfill God's call 
of loving people. So how do we do it? Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. That's our roadmap. Tells us what to do right there. This is how we love people. First, we must be sincere. This is the definition of sincerity. Sincerity is the quality of being free from pretense, deceit, or hypocrisy. I would say that as Americans, we're not good at this. Sincerity isn't a skill that many of us possess. We tend to be the opposite, which is cynical, right? We view everything with skepticism. And one of the reasons people, if you do a poll and you ask people about the church, one of the reasons they don't like to come is because they think we're hypocrites, because we aren't sincere. We do go through life with pretense and deceit. People assume we're trying to bait and switch in some fashion. We have to be sincere. Listen to the definition of cynicism, which is the opposite. Cynicism is an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest, i.e. skepticism. It's so easy to be cynical, right? We so often listen to people with skepticism anymore. People are talking and we're going, okay, but what's really going on? We make assumptions about people and the situations they're in. And I get it. Sometimes that's done out of wisdom. Maybe you've been hurt before, and so you're skeptical so you, so you don't get hurt again. Or maybe you've been taken advantage of before, and so you're skeptical just so you don't get taken advantage of again. I understand, and we should be good stewards of our emotions and our time and our talent and our resources. We should be good stewards of that. But I think most of the cynicism for us as a culture just comes from being generally jaded. Okay, we're tired from work and raising children and buying groceries and taking care of the house. We're just jaded. And so we don't have time to be sincere. We just need everything to stay at arm's length. So we're cynical. But as followers of Jesus, we can't. We just can't. We have to care. And we have to care genuinely. So how do we do that? How are we sincere? Well, we do what the rest of that verse says. Step number one is that we hate evil and cling to what is good. Last week, we talked about how reading scripture, knowing Jesus, he gives us the wisdom to rightly divide good from evil. This is the wisdom Jesus gives as we know him. And so as we know good from evil, then we oppose what is evil and we cling to what is good. When we understand that God gives us that ability, we understand that we have a responsibility to stand up, to oppose evil, and to cling to good. And the other way that we're sincere is that we're devoted to one another. Something I think we need to be reminded of, especially since the pandemic shutdown, is that this is our family. It seems like, I've worked in the church a long time, and it seems like one of the things that's been really negative about the church over the last 20 years is that it's become a place where you come for an hour and consume. I sit in a seat, I watch something happen, and I go home, and I've consumed. That's not the church. Church is family. 
We are all connected by the blood of Jesus. We are all children of the King. We are a family. Therefore, we are devoted to one another just like we would be devoted to family. That means that when someone has a need, we work to meet it. When someone needs prayer, we stop and pray with them. When someone needs to talk, we, we stop what we're doing and we talk. We sincerely love one another when we show with our actions that the people around us actually matter. We're devoted to one another. All of this is born out of the reality that the God of the universe loves us. And that truth has to change us. We can't stay the same when we realize that. It's amazing to me that the perfect, holy God of the universe knows our sin and still loves us anyway. This reality should spark in us a response of awe and devotion. It shouldn't be possible, but it is. It's possible because of Jesus. Romans 8.38 says this. Paul writes, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can stand in the way of God's love for us. Nothing. He's torn down every obstacle that stood in the way when he sent Jesus to the cross. That destroyed anything that could possibly get in the way. When Jesus died, sin and death died with him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, life and freedom rose with him. This is what Jesus did, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whoa. We have no righteousness of our own. If we had to stand on our own merit, we would fail. We can't. But Jesus imparts righteousness to us and then we can go before the holy God of the universe completely justified and he receives us. That requires a response. We have to respond. And we respond by loving him and loving the people he loves. It's what we do. The more we know him, the more we love him. It's why our vision is set the way it is. The more we know him and we understand how amazing this is, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we serve him. And more people will come to know, love, and serve him because we're doing it. This is who we are. We are the church. We have a responsibility and a calling, and we're going to run after it as hard as we can. Amen? Amen. If you want to know Jesus, if you're here and you've never made him Lord of your life, you've never been baptized, this is what you are coming to know. This hope of freedom and life and heaven is only possible through Jesus. That's why we surrender to him as Lord. So if you want to know him, if you want to give your life to Jesus and be baptized, I would love to talk to you. I'm going to sit here through the next song, and I would love for you to boldly stand up and proclaim your surrender and come up here and talk to me, and I'll talk you through what all that means. I'm excited about where we're headed. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us, knowing us and loving us anyway, even though we're sinful and broken. God, I'm so thankful that Jesus gives us the hope of heaven 
that we have forgiveness and freedom because of him. And God, I pray that you would give this church the strength, all of us, the strength to stand firm in that truth, to love boldly and generously and draw people to you because everyone needs to hear about the hope we have in Jesus. Give us opportunity. Break down walls so that we can speak truth into the the life of people who are lost. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for proving your love to us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at Thanks for the listen and have a great day.